Praise the Lord. That was lovely. Thank you. Praise team. Appreciate that. So we're going to take a look at um, Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to start today in that, in that chapter of that book Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in uh, modern day Turkey today. There's still ruins there of, of that great city in the Roman Empire, uh, although it's now just a tourist attraction and uh, a place where archaeologists like to go. I remember I was, uh, as a kid, I remember running around there because our parents took us there a few times. It wasn't that far from uh, Izmir, which was the biblical Smyrna found in the book of uh, Revelation. Uh, I remember we found, and I think now looking back, they were probably uh, people just threw these coins down that looked like they were old Roman coins. So we found one, it was stuck in our pocket. And then there's also little, little pieces of marble from, from, the, from the structures that were once there. And I like rocks, I always have like rocks. So I stuck a piece in my pocket. So on our way out, they say, hey, you stop. And they stopped me and they made me empty all my pockets because <laughs> I was taking valuable um, uh, resources of, of, the, of the nation of Turkey with me. And so, you know, there's places where you can't do that. You can't take anything from when you go to visit. Um, so anyway, that church um, is one of the churches that Paul... Uh, established in his missionary journeys and so he's writing back to them and so far we've looked at in the first couple of chapters uh, our position in Christ and we've looked at specifically a lot of what uh, the Lord uh, is what he has done for us and now Paul is trying to uh, get us to see what he's not done just for us but what he's doing in us there's a difference right so the last verse in uh, chapter 2 that we left off uh, last week, he's, he, uh, he painted a picture of, of the church as being the building where the Holy Spirit dwells. Okay, But he's not talking about the physical church. He's talking about us. The church is the people, uh, those that have... Iglesia, the called out ones, those that have been called out uh, from the world into, into the body of Christ. And we are uh, a building, we're the building where the Holy Spirit dwells. Paul would say to the Corinthians, know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not your own, you belong to Him. And we've been purchased with a price, that's what the idea of redemption means. We've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Bought out of our sins and into the freedom uh, of His grace and mercy and love. So, that was the last verse we saw at the end of chapter 2. And I think it's an amazing privilege. And if we, if we could try to if ever reach a point to where we just kind of brush it off as, oh, that's, you know, that's, that's cool, you know. Then I think we'd lost the... The sense of privilege that it is for those of us who uh, have received the Holy Spirit because of our faith in Jesus Christ, uh, that we're actually counted as the temple of God. You know, there are temples you can go to. I have a friend who went to, is going to go to Barcelona. He's going to go to that temple in, in Barcelona that they've been building for centuries. Beautiful structure. And we go to Europe, you see all the old cathedrals, and as amazing they, as they are, they're not as amazing as the fact that God chose not to dwell in buildings, but he chose to dwell in people. Amen? So it's a privilege. And that privilege should bring a sense of gratitude into our hearts, uh, joy. It should uh, bring a sense of confidence, right? And it should motivate us to, uh, to be obedient and faithful because we are the temple of God. Then Paul jumps into chapter 3. So uh, I just wanted to just take a moment. I'm just going to pray because I'm going to go through verses uh, by verse. Let's see how far we can go in chapter 3. So if you don't mind, just bow your heads with me. We'll pray for the sermon. Thank you, Father. 
once again for your word as we go verse by verse through Ephesians 3. We ask for your help. We ask for the uh, Holy Spirit to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts uh, and uh, uh, help us to see and understand and, uh, and then uh, in understanding uh, put into practice uh, these things that we're going to learn today. And if, if, if nothing else, Lord, to grow in our faith, which helps us to learn how to walk and how to be faithful with you. That, that matters. And so we ask you, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul starts off, uh, chapter 3, and you'll see it up here, um, in the first verse there. Uh, it says, for this reason, I, Paul, he's referring back to the first two chapters, all that he had said about what God had done for us, who he is, and now who we are, and what he's doing in us and through us. For that reason, I, Paul, and I find it interesting, the first thing he mentions is that he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. So on behalf of the Ephesians to whom he's writing, he's a prisoner. Now remember, he's writing from a prison in Rome. So he sees himself as a prisoner of Christ. He knows that he belonged to the Lord. He knows that his Jesus is Lord of his life, right? Uh, he's, he's not saying, hey, I'm a prisoner of the government. He's not saying I'm the prisoner of Nero, the emperor. He's not saying I'm a prisoner of the Roman Empire, right? Notice that? But he is, but he's not saying that. Just because something is doesn't mean that it is. Especially in the context of being a Christian. There's another dimension to our lives that just, not just physical place where we're at and our circumstances. We're not our circumstances. We're not what happens to us. We're not what they do to us. Right? There's a whole other reality to who we are in Christ that is spiritual and eternal. So yeah, you might be sitting in a cold, damp, dark, musty, smelly prison chained to a Roman guard. Yeah, that might be where you are, but he doesn't see and identify himself as that. He recognizes that he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ, not the Roman Empire, not Nero, not the government. And it is Jesus Christ that has brought him to that place. If sense or see and will not read anything anywhere where he regrets it and he feels sorry for himself and speaks of being a victim. He knows exactly why he's there. He's there because he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's not surprised by it, you know. So when he says this the way he says it, and I hope you can capture it with me as I strive and struggle here to, to bring this out to you, he knows he's under God's control. And if he's in a prison, then he's, he's the Lord's prisoner, right? Uh, every aspect of his life, uh, he understands uh, that he's in God's hands, right? They kind of rhymed. Every aspect of his life, he understands that he's in God's hands. You can make a poem out of it. You can make it your life verse, or at least something that you understand every aspect of your life, whatever that may be, his is a prison, what was he guilty of? Preaching. Why was he preaching? Because God gave him that command that he appointed him, uh, the apostle to the Gentiles. So he's just doing what God said and look where it ended. I ended up. Boo-hoo. Woe is me. He doesn't do that. Right? He understands that Jesus who sent him is in control and that every part and every aspect of his life is in God's hands and he understands that the reason that he's under arrest and awaiting trial is because of his missionary efforts on behalf of the Gentiles. 
That's what he says at the end. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Why? Because of my preaching to the Gentiles. Because I was obedient. Um, Paul suffered. There's no doubt about it. But he suffered for a cause. Yeah, we, we could, if you suffer for being foolish, well, you're a fool. You deserve it. I said that nicely, right? Just in case there's a fool in here that's suffering for your own foolishness. Not that I've ever done anything like that a million times. I have no one else to blame except for the man in the mirror, as Michael Jackson would say. The man in the mirror. You know, and then there's other things that you know that you're suffering because you're doing something on behalf of your relationship to Christ. You guys understand the difference? <laughs> so, fool me once, shame on me. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I got it wrong. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Right? Paul suffered the prison... Because he told the truth about the gospel and he explained it to the Ephesians and explained it everywhere he went on his missionary journeys and he knew that the consequences would be this and yet he did not back down. That's an amazing testimony, isn't it? That you have such a strong conviction, you're so sure of who you are and what God has asked and called you to do. You're so sure about it that if you suffer on behalf of that calling, of, of that obedience, that that's okay. Because this is where he's brought me and this is the cause. So then he goes on to saying, as he's referring to his prison and fact that his imprisonment was on behalf of the Gentiles. He goes on to say in verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given me to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. So Paul's a writer of letters and we're reading one of them. And um, he's sending these letters to these churches after he had founded them, after he had discipled them, after he had uh, appointed, if you would, pastors and elders and left the churches, uh, established the churches, he would write back to them as he heard of things that were going on and uh, issues that they, that they were going through because every church does have them and every person's life does have them. And so he says, I, I think you guys have heard of my stewardship, right? He, 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 what kind of stewardship was it, verse 2? It was the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And how, and so stewardship is the first word I want to kind of look at. The word is economia in the Greek. What does that sound like? In Spanish, it sounds exactly like economy. In Spanish, economia. It's, it's where we get our word economy. So this, he says, you've heard of the economy, and I'm going to say exactly literally as the Greek, of God's grace that was given to me for you. So what, is an, what does it mean? The idea here, at least in the Greek, he says, you've heard of uh, that God made me an administrator of this message and of his grace, and, and, and he gave me charge to share it with you. Do you realize you're all stewards of his gifts because of his calling. You're all responsible for what he's given you. Whatever be the calling, whatever be the gift. You have a stewardship. You're responsible to manage it appropriately and effectively for him. That's what he's saying here. Oikonomia. And he's administrator uh, of this gift. Are you administrating your gifts? Are you managing your calling? You have to discover what that is. You have to have that personal relationship with Christ 
And you have to ask him. Because the Bible says you have not because you ask not. Everybody always asks me, hey, Pastor, what's my ministry? I don't know. Just like you. I don't know. I see that you're kind of really good with people. You're patient. I can, you know, we can recognize that there may be some things that you have that God has given you, gifted you with through the Spirit that may be lending you or may, you may lean toward a certain ministry. Obviously, you don't want to be a in the ministry of maybe helping people if you hate helping people. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like one teacher told me one time, man, this job would be great if it wasn't for the students. I'm like, if it wasn't for the students, it wouldn't be a job. Right? Same thing I remember hearing from a guy who was in sales. I used to work in sales, and guys, man, this would be a great business if it wasn't for the customers. <laughs> Hello? Duh? No customers, you sh maybe you can go do some, something else. So God placed Paul in, the in Ephesus, that's where he sent him, placed him there, to uh, administer the message of the gospel, to, to share it. And he knew it. So God's in the business of commissioning him in his sovereignty, calling him, giving him spiritual gifts. So you, you got a calling in your heart? You hear it? Respond. Yes, Lord. Um, I'm calling you to this or that, whatever it may be. It's unique to you. Uh, and then he'll gift you. He'll gift you, give you spiritual gifts. I kind of learned, and I can speak to, to myself, obviously, because I know myself. I know what's happened. Somewhere in there, I, I, I enjoyed, I realized that um, uh, people would tell me, and this was in sales. Uh, I'll never forget that I went in as a green pea. That means I was a complete novice. Didn't know what I was doing. This is years ago, 30 Five years ago or more. And I have no idea what I was doing. They tried to train me. And I've tried to take all the tips and all the training. And not really, didn't work very well. And they came to me and they say, we really like you. You're kind of a nice guy. You know, but I don't think this is for you. And I'm like, oh man, that's, what are you trying to tell me? He said, "Well, we call. We hired you to. We hired you to uh, to to sell cars, not wash them." And I'm like, "Well, I mean, since I'm not doing anything, I mean, I'm not selling. I felt kind of guilty, so I was helping the guys that wash cars wash cars. You know, no, you're supposed to be selling cars, not washing cars." Oh, okay. I didn't tell them this directly, but in my mind, I thought, uh, "Hey, can you give me like till tomorrow to decide if I'll quit?" Because I could see they were having a hard time firing me. Uh, Dave Cousy was his name. Uh, he was my sales manager. He used to call me Ziggy. I have no idea why, if you know of the cartoon Ziggy. I don't hope he's not talking about my nose. But anyway, I went home and I prayed about it. And uh, I just kind of threw a fleece out there and said, Lord, can, can you give me a... Uh, and what I'm alluding to here is that we're not only... Uh, responsible for the uh, God's responsible for our calling. We're responsible to hear it and to respond to it. He gives us the spiritual gifts, and then He also gives us opportunities to, to use those gifts. So you see how it flows: called gifts, He provides them, He He blesses us with them, and then He opens the doors and opportunities. So I ask God, Hey, uh, could you give me an opportunity, like thirty more days? And I just said, I'm going to go ahead and step out in faith and ask my, my boss to not fire me and give me another 30 days. So I went back and he said, sure, why not? I sold 20 cars that month. I still didn't know what I was doing. I decided just to be myself. Hey, how you guys doing? Oh, you're here to see a car? I didn't try to repeat any scripts. You know in sales you have canned scripts. You got to teaching too for 
classroom management. So I just said, ah, I'm just going to be myself. So we go for a ride in the new car. And I'd just be funny. Not funny looking, funny. And I'd say, hey, it smells, like a, it smells nice here in this car, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, hey, you want to go on a freeway? You can step on it a little bit if you like. I would, if I was me. And then I, hey, let's drive through McDonald's and I'll, I'll buy you all a drink before we head back to the dealership. So I was trying to get them to fill what? Owners. And I was just being a little bit nice. What does it cost me to, back then I could buy four or five drinks for $2, $3, whatever. And then, and then I learned one little thing, which is what I thought I would want to hear from a salesman when I go on it a lot. Hey, if they really, I thought, if they really want to buy it, they probably want me to ask them. And I would say, hey, without giving up anything, if the numbers work, will you buy the car today? And they all begin to say yes. At that point, I got them inside, sat them down. They liked the fact that I was not pressuring them. And I don't really know what else happened except it must have been the Lord because I, I was only allowed, I only had to sell 10. That was the quota. And if you sold like seven or eight, you still got, you got to stay hired. What am I saying that for? What am I telling you all this? Because what I'm trying to say is when God puts you somewhere, he gives you the gifts. He gives you the ability to do that which he's called you to do. But not only that, because that's one, one, one piece of it. He also gives you the opportunities. Do you have to look for them? Paul did that. And because he did that, he was a good steward of what God had given him. The calling. He gave him the calling. He gave him the gifts. He gave him the opportunities. There's nothing worse than it. the old uh, college uh, uh, motto uh, 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 for, uh, I think it was for the black colleges, it, the mind is a terrible thing to waste. So the opportunity's there. If you don't use it, you're wasting it. Right? Paul didn't. He was a good economia. Uh, uh, he was a good administrator, steward of what God had given him. And my challenge to you is, I know his, his is an apostleship, and ours is also an apostleship because apostle means sent. God sends us in a, not in a capital letter, apostle, because those were original ones that wrote the, the New Testament. But we're all in some fashion or at some level been sent with God's blessing, His calling, with Him tapping our hearts. Hey, you... Uh, and then giving us gifts to use and then opportunities to walk through. Where did you get all that, Pastor? Right, right there, stewardship. He is a steward of God's grace. Even more important, he's a steward of God's free gift. And you received it, right, for free? Salvation is for free. How is it that we then don't turn in turn, having received it for free, don't offer it also to others for free? In other words, we faithfully um, serve Him as stewards. Right? So, in verse 2, Paul talks about that. Then he goes to verse 3. Look up there. He talks about uh, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written. Another Greek word I think is important to understand is mysterion. Mysterion. It would end in M-Y-T-E-R-I-O-N. Mysterion. Hey, there's actually a show. What is the name of that? Those trapeze artists that... that um, Cirque du Soleil. They actually have a show called Mysterion. What does that mean? What's a mystery? Well, it's, it's a secret. God has secrets. It's, uh, it's knowledge that God has that is a secret, but no longer. It was given to Paul. 
the mystery, the, the secret is no longer. It was a truth that was previously hidden, but now it, uh, it's disclosed or revealed or unveiled. And so we now know it. And he's talking about grace. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about Christ. That was a mystery to the Old Testament uh, saints and the, and the prophets because they only got like a jigsaw puzzle. They only got pieces of the puzzle. He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Uh, he's going to crush the head of the serpent. Uh, all these prophecies, one prophet would get one piece, like one piece of a puzzle, and another prophet, you know, have you ever had a puzzle? You know, I know sometimes some people like those challenges. I would just give up and walk away. Like, oh. I knew so, I thought in my mind that the, the that they were, at least the puzzle that I bought, the parts were wrong, and that's why I couldn't figure it out. You know, not that I lacked cognitive ability, right? That's a very technical way of saying that I was dumb, so I didn't want to finish it. No, the mystery for the Old Testament saints and prophets was that they, could, they didn't have all the pieces yet. But when Christ comes, it was revealed, all the pieces fell in to place at the appropriate time. So what was once a mystery is no longer a mystery. It is now uh, revealed by God. As a matter of fact, the word reveal is where we get the book of Revelation or in the Spanish or in Greek, it's called apocalypsis. So the apocalypsis is the revelation now known that was once hidden. And what a privilege for us. At the proper time it was revealed. The timing was right when Jesus came. And all of the, the counsel of God was opened up for us to understand. And that's what I'm up here doing. Trying to explain it. But we have everything now that we need to know for salvation... So Paul wanted them to know. He, sa he says uh, simply there that uh, how this mystery was made known to me. Right? What was hidden once now is no longer hidden. What was once a secret uh, uh, and hidden from human knowledge and understanding is, is now been unveiled. And then he goes on to say, uh, as I have written briefly, so he's right. That's where the letters come from. You know, has there ever been a stamp with the Apostle Paul on it? I mean, th that would be appropriate. One of the great writers of in letter senders of history. You know, you should put a stamp for Paul. So, Paul is saying, "Hey guys, I'm not making this stuff up. It was revealed to me these mysteries." God gave me the revelation, and I'm only his messenger of this truth. It's not my message, it's his message. This is why, for me, I just pray for the grace to be able to share these things without offending you because I'm human, right? But I always like to preface this is not my message. This is not my idea. It's not my invention. This is why I, and I want you to learn a little bit about uh, when it comes to preaching God's word. This is why the text is sitting up there for you to read it yourself. I don't deviate too much from it, and you all know that. Uh, it's not about a lot of times what I think. So when you read this, verse 4, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. He says, hey, when you read what I've written, you, you can see that I'm sharing something with you that was once uh, like a mystery, a secretive, not, we couldn't put it together yet. Though. It was a, a rompecabezas, like we say in Spanish, you know, meaning uh, break my head. That's what, how you say puzzle in Spanish, by the way. Right, Adriana? Rompecabezas. I mean, I see, I just, I see, I, I have this image of me banging my head up against something and my head breaking. That's what a puzzle is. No longer a puzzle. God's given us his word, he's given us his, uh, his revelation, right? He's given this apostle insight. 
which was, verse 5, was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. So what does that make our generation? If this was not known to other generations, what does that make our generation? Privileged. What does it make us? What does it say to us? What, what do we have uh, that they don't have? It makes us more responsible, accountable. Because we have what they didn't have. So they might be able to stand before God and say, hey, we, we, we didn't get it. But we won't be able to say that before God that we didn't get it. <laughs> we have more weight of responsibility. Right? Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and pro prophets by the Spirit. What a privilege. What a privilege for Paul to be a chosen instrument to not only receive this revelation that was once mystery, but also to publish it. Talk about social media. Talk about having a, a, a medium to share from. He's simply writing letters back to churches. Wow, we have much more than they ever dreamed of. So we do have a podcast. You guys know that? We have a YouTube page. This little church. Thank God for Ivan. Where's, is he back there? Did he come yet? He helped us with our web page. It's so nice. I sent it out to some friends and they're like, wow, that's cool. I'm like, yeah, it's nice. We have a Facebook page. I think I saw somewhere out there a TikTok page. Crosspoint Rialto. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Now we're really doomed. No, I'm kidding. Somebody listening outside of these walls here? Yeah. What's our prayer? We're publishing, we're sharing, we're evangelizing, because that's what God's told us to do. And Paul's doing it, right? The mystery, uh, verse number 6, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. So what is this mystery then that he's referring to? He says the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs or co-heirs. They're the members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So what he's saying here is that believing Jews and believing Gentiles are joined together into the same body of Christ. We saw that in the previous chapter. There, there's one church. They're no longer separated. But all peoples, Jews, all nations, all tongues, all ethnicities, all peoples are partakers of the promise of, of Jesus through the good news and the preaching of the good news of the gospel. We're all one if we believe in him. He brings us all together. There could, there's not a greater place to exist when we have Christ as our Lord. There will be no racism or discrimination no, God does not favor, God is not a pleaser of men. He's, in other words, he doesn't have his favorites. All of us go in the same way, through faith in Jesus Christ, recognizing our need of a Savior, that we're sinners, that we have a debt we can't pay, and bankrupt, and yet he paid for it at Calvary's cross by shedding his blood as the price. This privilege of being uh, God's people was no longer uh, reserved only for the Jews, but all of us can be uh, members of this body of Christ, citizen of heaven. That's what he's talking about. So he goes on to say at verse 7, Of this gospel, this good news, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. If you want to know a little bit about the working of his power and how Paul was converted, just go back and read Acts 9. He was on his way to arrest Christians and then he was arrested himself by Christ. He was apprehended by Christ. So he, he, what does he call uh, of this gospel? 
Uh, he's a minister of the gospel. See that, verse 7? So minister is a title that refers to service, not to exaltation, not to being served, but to serve. So he's the minister of the good news. I found in my studying that in classical Greek uh, literature back in ancient Greece, the word minister is diakonos, which sounds like what? Diakonos. Diakonos. Deacon. The deacon, a lot of times are these, we, we, we see it in Acts where uh, the apostles were so busy with ministering there were so many thousands coming to Christ that they couldn't take care of everybody. So they, they appointed deacons, were ministers, servants. And the word though, so Paul is using the word that comes from the Greek. See, this is important to understand that sometimes in a translation from one language to another, you lose stuff. You lose the meaning. And I know that because I know Spanish, well, kind of, sort I do, and English, <laughs> right? And I kind of see that sometimes you just can't, like translate something across literally in some because of culture and because of experience so you just can't do it right right across evenly i mean here's a really simplistic example the white house is not uh, said the same way in spanish if i said la blanca casa i mean you'd kind of understand what i'm saying but it, you'd say hey, where are you from Where'd you learn Spanish? It's La Casa Blanca. It's the house but white. You ever been to the house white? The, the house white? You ever been to the house white? Yeah, where the president lives. No, you've been to the White House. You get it? That's just a very, very simplistic thing. How do you translate? Que chido. Or chevere. You don't. That's cool. Or if you go back to my generation, groovy. Right? There's no translation. So I'm, I'm saying this because I think it's important for us to understand that sometimes we need to look into other resources to help us understand, like a, in this case, a concordance. A minister is the word diakonos, but if you look at the way it was used by the Greeks, and Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, decides to take this word minister, which is diakonos, and put it in the Bible to describe what he is. He's a table servant. He's a waiter, is what he's saying. That's how it was used. He's always at the order of his customers. That's what he is. He's a minister. He's a servant of the Lord, always waiting for his orders. That's all we are. And that's the pastors, which means that we're all this level. We're all the same. I'm trying to say this nicely. We're all just goofy. I just happen to be goofy up here. But we're all goofy. Okay, that's just a nice way of saying it. Unless you don't like being called goofy. And if that's the case, I offer you my apology. <laughs> so he's made a minister, a, a diakonos, a servant. You know, in serving God, Guess what happens by default? We serve the body of Christ also. In serving God, the Son, Jesus, He's serving God. He's serving us. You can't say you serve God and not serve your brother, your sister. You, you, you can't be a servant of God if you don't understand that. You are responsible to understand now that I've told you that if you serve God, you also serve others. Amen. So thank you for your service. The Lord 
called you to such a thing. So Jesus, when he was a 12-year-old boy, and uh, had gone to a Passover with his parents. You'll find this in the Gospels. The, the, the Passover is over, and his parents were going back to Nazareth, which was a long journey, a couple days at least. Because it says that <laughs> it must have been a really big caravan of people for them not to notice that Jesus wasn't around. I mean, what, don't you tuck on the night-night, uh, at least at night, when you stop the caravan to go back home and don't realize, hey, where's our son? But for whatever reason, it took them a couple days to realize that Jesus wasn't there, and they run back to the to Jerusalem, and they go to the temple, and there he is in the temple ministering to the scribes and to the doctors of, of, the, of, the, of the law and the theologians. And there's Jesus, a little 12-year-old, and, and, and they're saying, where were you? We were looking for you. The parents, right? Mary and Joseph. And he says, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? Serving the Lord is the, is the Father's business. It's not some light thing. It's important. We're about the Father's business. There is no vocation more important in this life. And I've told you it's more important than being a doctor for sure than being a lawyer. It's more important... <laughs> yeah, those of us... Some of us know why I say that. It's more, <laughs> yeah, a lot of us know why. It's more important than being uh, um, whatever, you know, driver of the UPS truck. Those guys are important. They're bringing my Amazon stuff. It's an important job. Yeah, the whole economy would go crashing down if it wasn't for, for the, not any employee of Amazon. Thank you to you that work for Amazon. Yeah, why, why, why? Because all of these things, being a doctor on our health and being a lawyer and our, 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 our issues, our legal issues, or being uh, an Amazon driver and our getting deliveries, all those things are temporary. They only pertain to this life. But serving God pertains to eternal life. Get it. And, and you would be more excited about serving the Lord. Amen, right? She's, she said it. Praise the Lord for... She's going, yes, pastor. Okay. If you want to know about, more about how Paul got called, go to Acts 9. So then, here's what Paul says. To me, though I am the least of all the saints, just, he says, hey, I, I realize that I'm nobody. He, he's saying, hey, uh, if you know his history, we, we really can understand that his calling really is all about grace. He was not deserving. And it is Paul who understands that you know I'm the least of all the saints and uh, he would go on to say this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles you know being uh, he, I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm nobody but yet God chose to give me this gift uh, 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 this grace to preach to the Gentiles as my prayer every Sunday Lord when, when I get up here and, and I'm trying to and I'm faithfully trying to to, to fulfill your calling in my life. Hey, give me the grace because I, your message is so wonderful, so powerful. I, I can't, there's no possible way that I actually can ex, ex, expound it the way I like to. But he, he was, it was a grace that was given to him. And all of us have a grace that was given to us to serve the Lord. Find it and do it. Believe me, you are not called just to sit on the benches. Nobody respects bench warmers. <laughs> Man, I want to get that kid Outland out there on the field, the Dodger rookie. That guy's hitting some, some, some balls, man. He's, he's going to be rookie of the year if he keeps it up. But we don't want him on the bench. We want him out there performing. We're not called to be bench warmers. We're called to be active in whatever gift God's given us and to use opportunities that he opens to us for his honor and his glory. And what was Paul's, what grace was given to him? The gospel to the Gentiles, to preach to the Gentiles. What does it mean to preach? To announce, to uh, share the good news of Jesus. And then I love this part, to preach what? What, what should we be preaching and this is where, again, I, I, I know what my ministry is. I, I'm, not, I'm so sure of it that I will die doing it. 
this, what I'm doing right now. You know, jokes aren't that good. I get it. But if you're coming for my jokes, you're 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 in the wrong, you're, you're really impoverished. You can you go to comedy hour, right? <laughs> so, what is it that he came to preach to announce? What the unsearchable riches of Christ? If they're unsearchable, it means that we'll never finish ever exhaust knowing about Him because His riches are unsearchable. They're unlimited. They can't all be found. So we do have something to do to, uh, un- to, to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And notice that Paul doesn't spend his time speaking about philosophy or psychology or theology even. He just preaches exclusively uh, the unsearchable riches of Jesus. That's what we want to do. The unsearchable, thank you for that, riches of Jesus. To bring to light, to, out of the darkness, right, for everyone. For who? For everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, but now revealed? Who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. What? Wait a minute. This is where I look, got, kind of got stuck as I was reading this. He wants us not only to hear, the, and he's not only preaching to the Gentiles, to, 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 to this city and Ephesus and others, but now uh, this is to be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. So the audience is also the angels. The angels also peer down from heaven and marvel at God's grace towards sinners. Because they didn't get that option when those angels rebelled against God. They were sent straight to judgment and they're waiting for it. And they can never ask for forgiveness or be redeemed because they were in His presence. And here we are having never seen Him, yet we love Him. What a privilege. Right? Can't wait to see him, but having not seen him yet, we love him. And so we put our faith in him. So the church, if I'm reading this correctly, is the theater in which God's glory is displayed. We are the church. His glory is displayed through us, first by his grace and mercy and love. Right? So the history of the church, our own personal history, becomes like graduate school for angels. As they peer down, as Peter would say, and you want to go look at this verse later, 1 Peter 1.12, that angels look down from heaven and marvel at the grace of God that's poured out on sinful men and women. They're like, whoa. Because Jesus said to the Pharisees who were so proud of the fact that they were Abraham's descendants, right? And so proud of the fact that they were not the children of Satan. He said, oh, I beheld Satan cast out of heaven like lightning. He goes, I'm not really impressed with the fact that you guys believe or claim to be the sons and daughters of Abraham. Because I don't see the same faith in you. I see a lot of religious uh, uh, rituals and ceremonialism. But I don't see a heart that loves me he goes I uh, and he goes your father is the father lies and he goes to say I beheld Satan cast out of heaven I was there not only was I there I did it I cast him out so the angels saw that back in eternity past even though that doesn't exist because there is no past in eternity eternity is forever Forever, either way, forward or backwards, under or above, and sideways. Forever is forever. He goes on to say that through the church, verse 10, so that through the church, through what? The church. The manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Everybody is like sitting in the audience looking at the stage of what is the church's history and just marveling 
even from heaven, they're peering down and going, wow, what love, what mercy, what grace he has given to fallen men and women. So this isn't according to the eternal purpose. So all of this, to this point, and we're done, is according to his eternal purpose. He had this purpose eternally, always, that he has realized, his eternal purposes are realized where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus is everything. Because they're realized in him. He fulfilled them. And in whom we have what? Boldness and access, which you cannot go before God on your own. You can't show up to the pearly gates and say, knock, 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 let me in. And there, I don't know, it's not true, but Peter would say, why should I let you in? Because I'm a good guy. Because I'm handsome. Oh, because I have a Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, because I was president or whatever. You can't go in under your own merits. You can only go in under the merits of Christ. So it says that we have boldness. We can go confidently. We can have access with confidence, as it says there in verse 12, through our faith in Him. It's our faith in Christ that gives us confidence, boldness, and access so, now, we're going to transition, and this is the last part of this verse, 13. Hey, don't lose heart over what I am suffering for you. Hey, don't feel bad for me, right? Which is for your glory. In other words, don't, don't give up over my troubles, because you're hearing that I'm arrested and in prison. I'm arrested and in prison for you. So glory over that. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, we just commit to you, Lord, this word, this, these passages that we looked at today. And we thank you that we can have boldness. We thank you, Lord, that we can have confidence. And we thank you, Lord, that we have access to you, which is the greatest audience we could ever ask for your presence we have it simply because of our faith that we have it in christ we we read we have this through our faith in him jesus help us to continue to trust you help us to continue to look for you to search lord to um ask to talk to fellowship, to serve, to walk with you, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.